Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. I'm Allison Langer. I'm Andrea Askowitz. I'm Zaire, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean truth in the story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. This is the seventh episode in a 10-part series inspired by the people I taught memoir writing in a men's prison. This series will bring you stories written by my former memoir students, as well as formerly incarcerated and currently incarcerated people from around the United States. Their experiences and voices, like those of many incarcerated people, are often marginalized and unheard. To help us get this right, Zaire will be contributing his feedback and commentary throughout the series as co-host, along with Andrea and me. Zaire is a poet, musician, actor, and teaching artist who teaches writing and poetry in school and juvenile detention facilities. Zaire has also lent us music for this series. Zaire, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Before we continue, I want to say that we want to be respectful of those who have personally been affected by violence. We don't mean in any way to sensationalize crime or to sensationalize someone who breaks the law. We do want to draw attention to the inequities of the justice system. And we want to share stories because we believe that stories lead to understanding. And if there's something we need more of these days, it's understanding. On episode 115, which was the first episode in this series, I went into detail about our motivation and hope for airing these stories. I told my story of meeting Tutal and some of the other men you will hear from in this series. Please listen to episode 115 if you haven't already. Today on the show, we have Dwayne Williams. Dwayne responded to our call out, which is super cool. And I'm super grateful that he did. Dwayne was born in Flint, Michigan and raised in Marietta, Georgia. He started writing in 2015 and self-published his first ebook in May 2020. Dwayne wants to see the world in a better place, and he believes through writing it can be done. In 1997, Dwayne made a terrible mistake, but he knows that mistake doesn't define him. Back after the break. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Hey, writers. For the last 45 years, I've been going to tennis clinics to practice forehand, backhand serves. What does this have to do with writing? Well, practice, I've learned in the last 45 years, is what it takes to get good at anything. And that's why Writing Class Radio hosts a tips clinic, a writing tips clinic. We do this every second Saturday 
so that we can all practice going to scene, writing like we speak, omitting needless words, everything that it takes to become great or at least better at writing. So join us every second Saturday from 12 noon to 1 Eastern time on Zoom. To join, go to writingclassradio.com and click the link for the tips clinic. It's $10 and believe me, it's a lot cheaper than a tennis clinic. See you there. We're back. This is Andrea Askowitz and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Here's Zaire reading Dwayne's story. Wait, do we want to say why he can't read it himself? Um, as far as I know, I sent him a, you know, the recording information. Hey, can you record this? And he said, no, it can't. I can't do it. And I know that it is a pain in the ass to try to get in line for these things. And also they only get 30 minutes. So, and I don't know how often they are able to get to the phones, but I know it's not often. I was talking to somebody this weekend who told me there's like a bank of phones, three and you have 30 minutes and everyone lines up just like you see in the movies. And then if he spends his 30 minutes talking to me, then he doesn't get 30 minutes to talk to whoever else he has on his list to mm. talk to. And I'm sure he has much more important people. This didn't work. I didn't want to push because. No, you want him to be able to talk to his family. Right. Obviously. So unfortunately, we don't have his voice, but we will hear his voice in his story. Because like on any normal page, you can't hear the person's voice. We just are a podcast. So we usually get to. Zaire has graciously agreed to read this. Here's Zaire reading Dwayne's story, Money. It was my sixth day in Atlanta and the last day I would ever be on the streets again. I was 19 and wanted some extra cash. So without much thought, I made the dumbest decision of my life. Yeah, of course I want to get some money, I said when Daryl woke me up. Freak Nick was coming that weekend, so a little extra cash wouldn't hurt. Last year when Freak Nick came around, I got so drunk, I started dancing in the middle of the streets, showing my private parts to any female willing to look. I stole $1,000 from my job at Payless, all which was spent on Freak Nick. Drinks, clothes, whatever was needed that weekend. Would this time be the same? I ignored the feeling and got ready. Who are we going to rob this time, I asked. Robbery was an accepted practice among African-Americans when I grew up. Especially if you didn't have much. At that time, I saw nothing wrong with taking money from people who seemed to have more than me. My mom taught me better, but... I just went with the flow. They had decided to rob a store 30 minutes away in Marietta. When I asked why so far, Daryl said, that is exactly why, fool. They will never think we did it. After some discussion, Daryl, Ronnie, Courtney, and I jumped into Ronnie's Cadillac and headed to Marietta. On the way, we listened to Tupac. I see death around the corner. I see death around the corner. The music had us hyped and ready for anything. As we approached the store, we noticed several customers inside. Ronnie drove on into the apartments next to the store and parked. It was around 2 a.m., April 15, 1997. We sat in the car until the store was empty. 
Daryl and Courtney had planned to go into the store while me and Ronnie waited in the car. But Courtney changed his mind. So me and Daryl went in. Y'all hurry up, man. Get the money and hurry back, Ronnie said. It was pitch dark outside. I didn't want to go in at first. And I was very nervous. I'm naturally a nervous person. But I didn't want the others to think I was scared. We walked up to the store. There was no one inside but the clerk, a middle-aged black man. He was average height and looked like he worked out a lot. As we entered the store, Daryl noticed the clerk standing in the back. Daryl ran to the back as I jumped the counter looking for cash, but the cash register wouldn't open. Daryl and the clerk started walking toward me, so I got scared and left the store. I stood outside for a couple of seconds, then heard gunshots. I looked back and saw Daryl, but I didn't see the clerk. My heart started beating really fast, and I ran straight to the car. Minutes later, Daryl ran out. When we were both in the car, Ronnie drove off. The entire incident was no longer than two minutes. What you get? Ronnie asked. Daryl had grabbed a pack of Newports. I took nothing. Y'all went into the store and ain't get nothing? Ronnie screamed. He couldn't believe it. Did I hear gunshots? Courtney asked. Why you shooting? Daryl said the clerk refused to give the money, then tried to grab the gun, and that's when Daryl shot him several times. When the clerk fell, Daryl said, I left. It was about 3.30 a.m. when we arrived home. Daryl didn't know if the clerk was dead or not. We didn't get no money. Ronnie was angry, but after a few hours, we all calmed down and fell asleep. I woke up shortly before noon, grabbed me something to eat, and sat in front of the TV. I had work that day, but I ain't go. Jeff and Courtney went to work. They both worked at Wendy's restaurant. Jeff was a shift manager and Courtney was a regular employee. The news came on the TV and I noticed the robbery in Marietta was the top story. It was the top story because the clerk had died. Daryl murdered the clerk. I called everybody in to watch with me. It was me, Daryl, Ronnie, Ronnie's brother Jeff, and Jeff's wife, Candy. The news lady said, a murder in the city of Marietta happened late last night during a robbery attempt. There are no leads as of yet. We couldn't believe the incident was on the news, but we were happy to hear they had no leads. Watching the news just increased our fears, which made us want to stay home. We made no calls, we just sat around and kept watching TV. I couldn't believe what we did. This man died for no reason. I was completely unaware of what was ahead of me in terms of consequences, but I knew I was in big trouble. I was afraid inside my chest despite just being so bold hours earlier. Later, on the 4 p.m. news, the robbery was still the top story and the police still had no leads. An hour later, the 5 o'clock news. The 5 o'clock news said they had a lead. It couldn't be us because no one knew but us. The police must have a false lead, some bad information. I thought about calling my sister to tell her what I did. I wanted to get it off my chest. Despite how I felt, I didn't call anyone. 
On the 10 o'clock news, they said they were about to pick up the suspects. Who were they going to pick up? No one knew what we did. Some girls came over soon after the news was over. We sat around and talked. They got the worries out of our minds, and we calmed down a lot. We talked like nothing was going on. I just sat there while they smoked. Eventually, I joined in the conversation. Ironically, one of our discussions was about Jesus and the Trinity. We all tried to explain why it made sense. After a couple of hours, I went into a separate room to call my sister. She picked up on the first ring. Tasha, I want to tell you something. I could always tell my sister anything. We were cool like that. Mama was watching the news when I called, and they were talking about the robbery. I told Tasha what I did and all the other stupid stuff I'd been doing. Drinking, robbery, just not acting myself. As I was talking to my sister, I heard the newscasters say they were going to pick up the suspects. I told Tasha I would call her later. That was the last time I spoke to my sister as a free man. Minutes later, Daryl looked out the window and noticed police everywhere. We ran through the house aimlessly. They knocked, at first screaming, Police, open the door. Then, they knocked the door down. I was in the living room and immediately fell to the ground. At that point, a feeling overcame me that I could not describe. It was like that part in the Friday movie when Kane was being interviewed and the detective kept saying, you know you fucked up, don't you? You know you fucked up, don't you? It was the worst feeling of my life. I guess it was a realization of the consequences to come from the terrible decision I made. As we rode in the police car, the news station followed us. At the county jail, the police put blankets over our heads to protect our identities. We were the top story on the news. Reporters yelled questions as we went in. What are your names? How old are you? Did you all participate in the killing? Their questions made me feel like an animal, like I wasn't human. I felt embarrassed and thought, what would my mom think if she saw me on the news like this? Inside, the blankets were removed. and I looked around and there was a TV in the lobby showing me walking into custody. I couldn't believe it. Later, I was taken to a cell and locked up by myself. I assumed my co-defendants were also alone. It was there I was told I was being charged with murder. At 19 years old, I was heading to prison. Eventually, I was sentenced to life. Daryl got a life sentence like me. My other co-defendants received five years. While other people my age were going to college or having kids, I was putting myself through the prison system. At first, I blamed Daryl, but I realized I can't blame anyone else for my mistakes. I know some African-Americans blame the white man for stuff to go on or the government, but good decisions are the key to having a better life. And for many years leading up to my arrest, I'd been making pretty poor decisions. To be honest, at 19, I was just plain stupid. I really didn't know what I wanted out of life. I had no goals, no aspirations. I was just living. I didn't care if I hurt people or if I disrespected women. 
as time went on, all that changed. I matured. I developed standards and a purpose. I wanted more out of life. Now I know better. Heading to Marietta that day, agreeing to rob a store was the dumbest decision in my life. I wish I would have gotten out of that car and gone home to visit my mom and stayed there. I'm 44 now and still incarcerated. Currently at Washington State Prison in Davisboro, Georgia, where just a month ago, the entire camp was locked down because of gang violence. Most days here, I've felt powerless, which I assume is how the men I robbed and women I terrorized felt. I know now what I did back then was wrong and immoral. The lockdown lasted almost two weeks. I'm housed in a three-man cell that's no bigger than 25 feet long and 25 feet wide. Absolutely no privacy. We are all required to be inspection ready from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day, which means having our bunks made, cell clean, and being properly dressed until the inspection crew comes to prove that all is up to their standards. All this because I wanted some extra money. Definitely not worth it. This story is so well-written. He uses excellent description. He does exactly what we want in a story. We see a change in the narrator. We see the before and after. We, we hear what's going on in his head. I mean, I just was so impressed. I mean, this came in super clean. I wanted to get to the telling and showing part that he did really, really, really well. I agree with you. But first, before that, I want to talk about what happened to me when I heard the part where he wrote just at the very beginning, showing my private parts to anyone willing to look. I was disgusted. I felt gross. I felt like he was violent and gross. Like I judged him. I was like, why is that in this story? The story is called money. That's like this could have been totally taken out that part. And um, I remember, Allison, you and I had a conversation about this when we first read it. And, um, and then I was also feeling really pissed at you for keeping it in because I was like, this doesn't belong here. But I will say that when I got to the end and he took responsibility a few times where he did admit that he terrorized women, he was disrespectful to women. He, he told he said that a few times. And so. I don't think it's critical to this story. And it does, it's possible that it really, um, we will lose us so many people. I mean, he will lose people's respect and confidence, maybe because of that line. And I just think it's an interesting thing to think about in terms of like writing a story. Like, you know, we don't need to include every detail. And that detail, Okay, so I disagree 100% because this guy is trying to show what a complete dick he was. And if he keeps that out, I feel like he's hiding that from us. And I want to know that this guy wasn't just robbing people, but he was violating people. Like, 
there's a whole nother level to his disrespect. I think it's his moment to be able to just unload and be like, I fucked up in such a big way and I want to take responsibility for it. So I'm not going to keep it a secret. You can hate me all you want, but this has to stay. So maybe he was maybe he was making that decision. But, and, I, and I agree with you in the end because he did come around. But yeah, I, I want to hear what Zaire thinks too. Zaire? I think it is a, a rather important part because if he doesn't go into depth about what he actually who direct, he was before. Yeah, what he what he directly does. Because outside of outside of the things he he lets us know that don't pertain to the to the robbery in Marietta, as, that's really just him going into a store and then walking back back out. He didn't do anything like physically himself. Daryl's the one who shot the clerk. But so I mean, indirectly he participated in a man's life being ended over some newports, but that wasn't necessarily what he did. It's important to the story because it it removes the 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 notion that he was just an innocent bystander in this. I think it's easy to argue that someone who um, goes into a store with someone else as your partner who has a loaded gun, that's bad. Like, I think it, it is. It is. And that's that's perfectly right. It is. It is bad. But what what I'm saying is not not to get into semantics or anything, but he didn't have the gun. He didn't shoot the clerk. That story more so if like if this story was being told by Daryl, then it then it would have been great to just focus on just that because Daryl's the one who who did that. But this story is being told by Dwayne and he's not the one who shot the clerk. He's not the one who brought a loaded gun into the store. He's not the one who grabbed Newport's on the way out. Like that's something that someone else did. He slept. So in in order to really drive home the point that I am not a victim in this, I I played my part in 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 the person that I was at the time, which led me to being in that situation in the first place. I think he does do a really good job of taking responsibility throughout the story. And even though a case can be made that he wasn't holding the gun, he doesn't make that case. Yeah. He he starts to, and then he's like, you know what? No. I made this bad decision. So I respected him when I heard, I respected him really big time when I heard him talking that, when, it, when I heard him taking responsibility and just talking about his own decisions. And how amazing that the writer had us on his side. Like Zaire and I were like, he didn't barely do it. He just walked in. You know, like he he was able to write his vulnerabilities in, in a, such a way that we sided with him. It was like, oh, how did these other people only get five years? That's so fucked up. That's not fair. He only deserved five years. You know, like the whole thing. I was on his side. I wonder, I really would love to hear from our listeners, any of our listeners, if anyone did not take his side because of his, the way he wrote it at the beginning was so flip and nonchalant, like showing my private parts to anyone who would willing to look. Even the way he lays that out seemed at the very beginning like he he didn't understand. It seemed like he didn't understand how violent and disrespectful and gross that was. I think, yeah, that's that's the that's the placement of that's why that it's it seems like that way in the beginning of the piece, because in the beginning of the piece, we're still with him when he's that person. And then later on, you know, as he's grown and, you know, he's faced the, the repercussions of his actions, then we get that remorseful side. Then we get that. OK, I know I, I messed up. side. yeah, it's a very bold move as a storyteller. Did you guys know that this was a consequence of being with somebody who ended up 
pulling the trigger and murdering somebody. Like you could be in the car with them. You could be, you could be, you could have, they could have been in that um, convenience store and somebody walked in, like a cop walked in and somebody got shot. Like one of these guys got shot or somebody got shot and they're still guilty of murder. Even if neither of them pulled the trigger because they are the one who incited the murder. They are still going to prison for life. I mean, that, did you guys know that? Because it scares the shit out of me. You know, like for my kids, like what if they're in a car with somebody or they do something stupid and all of a sudden, I mean, your whole life changes because of somebody else's, your bad decision, but their worst Mm. decision. I didn't know, no. And I wonder why the other people, the ones in the car only got five years. They didn't, maybe because they weren't actually in the store. Um, I want to talk about the moment in the writing that I was so drawn in and that I think Allison, you sort of mentioned it, but it's when... He's watching TV. And what he did there was like a mix of hot topic, cold prose. So it's after the incident and he is in the house watching the news. So what he's doing is he's just reporting what he's seeing on the news. And it's so sparse, like it's not, the language is really simple, but he's also doing what we love, which is he's showing, he's showing us the news and he's telling us at the same time how he's feeling. He's like, I felt like an animal. It was the worst feeling. And I thought that was such good writing. The animal part came when he was arrested. So when he's at home watching the news, he's thinking it couldn't be us because no one knew but us. Then when he's in custody and he's watching himself on TV, that's when he says... Um, that it made him feel like he was an animal, that he wasn't human. And then the interesting thing is he's embarrassed and thinking about like, well, what is my mom going to think when she sees me here? And I'm always astounded by their respect. These guys who have gotten into major problems, their respect for their moms and how they don't want to disappoint them. And yet that's the saddest part to <sighs> me. Because we are moms, you know, like we know that our kids love us and they're trying to do the best they can, but they just made really fucked up decisions. It goes back to that whole article. I'm, I'm like, that's my like mantra for this whole thing, that New York Times article about that they age out of crime after 20, you know, like after a certain age, their brain develops 25, their, you know, their frontal lobe or whatever closes and they're fully formed and let's get on with their life. But now they're stuck in prison. Yeah. Dwayne Williams was 19 on the last episode. The narrator was also super young. Yeah, He was also 19. Damn it. It's just impulsive. They just want money. You know, like who doesn't want money? It's wild to to say that someone the rest of someone's life is is going to be this based off of this. That's. It's wild, especially at such a young age. 19 is way too young to decide what someone is going to be for the rest of their life. It's way too young. Well, prisons become punishment, right? So we think of the victims, and I rightly so, this man's life was ended. Yeah, someone died. That's Someone died. Absolutely. But my thing is you can be punished, but to be punished forever at 19? Awful. That's insane. Back to the writing. There was such awesome foreshadowing. The song that he was listening to, I see death around the corner. Tupac. God, I love that moment in the story. I thought that was such great foreshadowing. It's like, fuck, something bad's coming. (sighs) 
Yeah. You can tell there's a lot of thought in this and just very simple, good writing. He tells the story he came to tell and he tells it well. Yes. And there is a change in the narrator. I think it's excellent too. Thank you, Dwayne, for sharing your story. Thank you, Zaire, for reading Dwayne's essay. And thank you guys for listening. In the next episode in the series, you will meet 71-year-old Robert Fell, who is a former student, farmer, and bloodhound trainer who has been in prison for 42 years. Writing Class Radio is produced by Allison Langer, me, Andrea Askowitz, Zaire, and by Matt Kundal, Evan Serminski, and Courtney Fox at the Sound Off Media Company. Music by Zaire and Marnino Toussaint. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. If you love the lessons you get on each episode, you can get them all in one place on our three-part video series for $50. Click video classes on our website. If you want to be a part of the movement that helps people better understand each other through storytelling, follow us on Patreon. For $10 a month, I will answer all your publishing questions. For $25 a month, you can join Allison's First Draft Weekly Writers Group, where you will write to a prompt and share your work. That meets every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time. Included in that $25, you also get access to me. Join at patreon.com slash writing class radio. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday, so listen for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.